chapter 21. I titled this message, Starting Over with Jesus. We're going to look at the life of Peter in the way that he was restored by Jesus after he failed. And I don't know about you, but many of us have failed over the years. Um, Today, I will be very transparent with you. I'm going to share my biggest failure story after becoming a a Christ follower. Um, A few of you know it. Uh, The rest of you will know it here today. But I want you to think about these different individuals. You know what? Elon Musk, Steve Jobs were both fired from companies they started. One of uh, uh, Elon Musk's times when he got fired, he was on his honeymoon when they fired him as a CEO of a company. And then there's Michael Jordan, probably one of the greatest basketball players ever. Did you know he, didn't, he did not make his high school basketball team? That's a hard one to believe, isn't it? And then there's Walt Disney. He worked for a newspaper, and he was fired because they told him he lacked creativity. <laughs> but what do all those people have in common? They failed, but it didn't, that did not define them. It allowed them to be a, a learning experience where they moved on from there and accomplished much more. Many of us have failed, probably all of us have failed at one time or another, but sometimes we allow that to define us. We allow us to hold us back, and we never get beyond that. Well, let's start as we look at the life of Peter here uh, and how Jesus restored him, starting verse 1 of John 21. Afterward, and let's just stop there. What's the afterward talking about? It's talking about when Jesus met with his disciples after the resurrection. He was in Jerusalem. He had appearances from time to time. But it says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus. Didymus meant twin. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and that would be James and John, and two other disciples were together. So if you add them all up, there's seven together. Verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Oh, the worst words for a fisherman to say, right? Fished all night and caught nothing. But I want you to think about it. Why did they even go out fishing? Jesus called them to leave their nets, leave their boats, to leave their profession of fishing. And he says, I'm calling you to be a fisher of men. They were to leave that. But likely Peter in this situation felt like, my time is done. I denied the Lord three times. He cannot possibly use me. I'm done. I'm finished. I just as well go back to where I started. I'm going to go back to fishing. And these other guys joined up with him. About half of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. That's what they knew. And they probably kind of like, well, Jesus isn't here. We just as well. But I think it's important for us to realize the first point that I'm going to share with you today is this. We can influence others positively or negatively. We are all people of influence, aren't we? If you're a parent, you have a tremendous amount of influence on your kids. Grandparents, same thing with our children, our grandchildren. 
If you're in a workplace, you have an influence. And I think we need to steward our influence. How are we influencing other people? Or are we just being influenced by them? And if you're hanging with the wrong type of people, you could be negatively influenced by someone else. But I think we have the opportunity to be a positive influence in the life of other people. This is a situation where I don't think Peter was really a positive influence. He's ready to go back to fishing. Jesus didn't call him to go back to fishing, but he's going to go there anyway. Let's look at a moment at the, the failure point just before it happened of Peter. Matthew 26, starting verse 33, it says this. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now, who's he talking about, if all? Probably the other disciples that were there in that upper room when they were having this conversation. He's really comparing himself to the other people, the other disciples. These guys all might fall away, but I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. See, what was part of Peter's problem? Yeah, I think it was pride. I think it was self-confidence, self-reliance. Be really careful. I know a lot of you are very gifted, very well-educated. You might have all these experiences. You might be like, oh, I would never do that. Be really careful. And I think of the words of Jesus. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. When we get saved, God puts a spirit in us. We're a new person. We're born again. But we still have our body that has a sin nature. We can still sin and we still are tempted by sin, and we can give into that. And so we have to be very careful that we don't get self-confident. What we need to put our confidence is completely in the Lord. We need to stay full of the Holy Spirit. We need God. Don't ever feel like, oh, I'm way beyond that. You be very careful. I, I've seen many a people in the, over the years fall because of self-confidence. I don't think they started out wanting to fall, but they started to like feel, oh, it never happened to me. And, and then like, be careful. Have those safeguards. So why can we fall? Or what, excuse me, why can we fail? Well, first of all, we just saw, I think from Peter, pride, self-confidence. But there's other reasons too. Some of you might be failing right now because you're not taking steps of faith. God has called you to do something and you're like in fear. Do you know fear can paralyze you? It can hold you back from accomplishing? Because many times what God is looking for is for us to take steps of faith. In fact, he says it in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So one is that fear could be holding us back. Another one is sometimes we get an idea. And we're like, oh, I got, I got this idea. I'm going to move forward with it. I'm going to do it. And we don't get wise counsel. We don't properly prepare. So that could be a reason for failure. Another one can be hurts from others. In a moment when I share my story, this relates heavily to my failure. Hurts from others. Sometimes we run into obstacles. And those obstacles are a barrier that we, we, do, we quit too easily. We don't persevere Throughout the scripture, you'll see the emphasis about persevering, 
pushing forward with God's help. So sometimes we just quit. And the, here's another one. If you're here and you're not following Jesus, he's not in charge of your life, well, you're going to fail automatically because life without Jesus in charge is a reason to fail. He's not going to bless your life if he's not the Lord of your life. He does not want you to sin successfully. He loves you too much, and so he's going to woo you back. He's going to work over and over trying to bring you back to that point. Not that he wants to punish you or he's mad at you, but he loves you too much. And so sometimes we can fail for those reasons. So put yourself in the, in the story here. Every one of us are a Peter. And look what it says there. They caught nothing. I really believe this, that we will come up short when we don't have the Lord's blessing. That disobedience will never bring satisfaction. And, you know, I mentioned these guys at the beginning, what we would say were very successful people like Walt Disney and Elon Musk and Steve Jobs and and Michael Jordan. But there's a worldly success. Okay, that's that's fine. But you know the greater success is that fulfillment that we get in our heart, that contentment that comes from knowing I'm at peace with God. I'm in a relationship with my creator. I'm doing something for him. And I receive back something that I can't describe. I know I get it all the time. I, I just brought back a team. We, I led a team to Guatemala. We took 34 people. The tremendous amount. We worked hard. We gave out so much. But we all were poured back into in such a way you can't describe it. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I know many times people say, well, I wouldn't want to do that. Well, you're looking at it from your perspective. If you did something for the Lord, he's going to pour back into you so much. Now, let me tell you my story. Um, I got saved, pretty radically saved, when I was uh, into my sophomore year at Iowa State University. I was a very immoral person, very involved in drugs, and a full-on alcoholic. I, I just I couldn't stop once I started drinking it was, it was over. And uh, I was a mess. People kept witnessing to me and so forth. So I finally gave my life to Jesus Christ, and all, everything changed. I, I'm one of these people that can't do something halfway. i got to do it like 110%. So I went 110% towards the things of the world. And then when I became a Christian, I went 110% towards Jesus. I was growing, spending hours in the Word and studying. The pastor of our church took me under his wing. He was giving me opportunities to to lead some things and to teach and lead a Bible study. And and I was like growing. And I sensed the calling of God on my life. I knew. And people had confirmed it. Different prophetic words were given to me about being a pastor. And I just knew it. My, one of my first conversations with Barb was I told her I felt called to be a pastor someday, and that's when she told me she felt called to be a pastor's wife, but that's a, that's a whole other story. Yes, she's a pretty aggressive lady, I know. But uh, anyway, so I graduated. My degree was in agronomy, which is an agricultural science degree, and I started work for the company I spent 17 years with, and... Uh, First thing I started doing is getting involved in a church. We took a, a move. I was a, uh, became a youth pastor as a volunteer. I started in Bible college. And I, in 1985, I got my pastoral credentials through the Assemblies of God. I taught in different churches. I would 
you know, do quite a bit of leadership in our church. I wasn't paid to do it as a volunteer. Uh, I would teach the youth, and Barb would play the piano and lead worship, and we were quite the tag team there doing ministry. And then 1987 came, and it was a mess. My best friend, who was the associate pastor of our church, he and I would go out fishing a lot, and him and his wife and Barb and I, we'd go out and have dinner together a lot. He committed adultery with a lady outside the church, left the ministry in shame. That same year, my mentor, the senior pastor, he committed adultery, left the ministry, and his wife had committed adultery with a business guy in the church. My spiritual leaders, my peer, the people I looked up to, had all failed, and I was so hurt. By this time, I'd had my pastoral credentials for two years. I didn't seek wise counsel. I operated out of a hurt. I wrote a very nice letter to the district office of the Assemblies of God. I put my pastoral credentials in that envelope. I sealed it up, and I told them I no longer want to be a pastor. And I walked away from the calling of God on my life. And so instead of putting that energy into ministry, where did I put it now? Into work, into business. And by all means, people would have looked at me and said, you're very successful. I was traveling all over the world, had a very high-level job. I was doing very well. But inwardly, it was not satisfying me. When we would, I would get jobs where I would, we would move and I would get involved in a church, I would tell Barb, we'd see things in a church, see, Barb, see, that's why I could never be a pastor. I could never be a pastor. See all that stuff? I was trying to justify it because that calling wouldn't go away. And God was just continually, you know, he's such a gentleman. He wasn't hitting me over the head. But it, in all the success I had in business, it did not bring any satisfaction to me. In fact, there's a lot of regrets there. I was away from the family way too much, traveling way too much. And we moved from Iowa to Florida in year 2000. Three weeks after we moved here, we were making a walk in our neighborhood. In fact, last night, Barb and I were walking, talking about it after the service. We got to the very place we were at in the neighborhood where I dropped the bomb on her. And I said, I know now why God brought us to Florida. It wasn't for the nice weather or the beaches, although we enjoy them. It was for me to say yes to the calling of God on my life again. She had not heard that for 13 years. Even though she knew it, she was praying for it. She's such a good wife, she wasn't beating me up over me not being in the will of God for my life. But she was just praying. And I told her, I know I'm supposed to be. And I want to answer that calling of God on my life. So I enrolled in Calvary Chapel Bible College. I started serving here, doing a lot of things. In the beginning of uh, 2002, I came on staff here. So over 20 years now. And I stand here today as a testimony that God doesn't give up on us. Even when we turn our back on Him, He does never turn His back on us. We're going to see in Peter how Jesus restored him. Even in his failure. And some of you are right now are going to be like, man, that's where I'm at in my life. I pray this message will speak to you in a way like none other. That God will show you he's not done with you either. Verse 4. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? Oh, they hated to say this next thing. No, but you ought to have seen the one that got away. <laughs> oh, you talk about, oh man, they answered. And he said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now we know from verse 8, we'll get there in a moment, that Jesus was about 100 yards from them out in the water. And I have a picture from when Barb and I were in Israel. Some of you are going to be going with us to Israel. Now, I have to do a disclaimer here. We were really getting along okay. I don't know why we were sitting so far apart. Somebody snuck up on us while we we're having our quiet time. We'd get out before the sunrise on the Sea of Galilee. We'd have our quiet time. Somebody took a picture of it. It looks like maybe we weren't getting along too well. But uh, we really were. We were talking about that last night too. Like, I don't know, we, why we didn't move the chairs, but they were there. But you see where that sign is sticking up in the water? Picture that's where the boat is. That's about 100 yards perhaps away. Jesus is there on that shore. And and Sea of Galilee is beautiful, by the way, surrounded by these mountains. Um, That's the other side there is the Golan Heights and so forth. But picture Jesus, and the sound would have traveled very well across the water, especially still in the morning. And he told, told those disciples, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. Now, why the right side of the boat? Anything Jesus tells you is, is right. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> but, he, but he did. And those disciples had a choice. Do we obey or don't we? They chose to obey, and their nets were full of fish. But here's a more important point that I want us to all get for our lives is this. Jesus comes to us in our failure. He comes to us. He was constantly coming to me. It was a matter of whether I was wanting to respond back to him. Jesus went out looking for the disciples. He stood there on the shore. He came to them. And when they truly obeyed, their nets were full. They knew, they, they knew that there was something different going on then. Because look at verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we know that's, that's John. He's always referring to himself as that. He said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, I don't know about you, but Peter does things a little backwards sometimes. Most of us take some clothes off to jump in the water. He's putting clothes on to jump in the water. But I was told that these fishermen would strip down to basic minimal clothes when they were fishing, and so they probably... For modesty's sake, if he's going to go meet the Lord, he felt like he needed to put something more on. But he jumps into the water, and then it says, The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a 100 yards. So you see, that's where we get that distance. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, there's an interesting little thing about the fire of burning coals. There's only one other time in the New Testament that that's mentioned. In the original language of Greek, the fire of burning coals is also mentioned 
the fire where Jesus, or excuse me, where Peter was warming himself, the site of where he was denying Jesus. I think that's significant. I think Jesus is going to bring Peter to a place of restoration with a reminder of what he did when he was at the at that fire. But he says there he's got the fish, he's got the, the bread there. And then it goes on to say, verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. He must have been a pretty burly, strong guy. And it was full. And it, look at I think there's like three miracles here. First of all, it was full of large fish. It wasn't just like a little fish. 153 of them. There's all kinds of speculation on why 153. I'm not going to go into it because I don't think anybody really knows. But fishermen count their fish, don't they? So they knew 153 of them, which is a lot. And the net was not torn. I think another thing, you know, Jesus is able to do more than we could ever ask or think. Now, I don't know about you, but they were getting ready to have a typical Israeli breakfast. You know, some bread and some fish. How many of you enjoy eating fish? Enjoy eating fish? Yeah, I grew up fishing, enjoy eating fish and so forth, um, except anchovies. I don't like anchovies. They're a little fishy. You like that? Now, if you've got a better fish joke, let me know. Okay, move on to the text. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now, that's kind of a strange thing to put in there. Why would they say that? I think it's because the appearance of Jesus was different after he rose from the dead. He had the glorified body Jesus had looked different enough that they had to say, like, I'm pretty sure that's the Lord. I'm not going to ask him based on what I'm seeing. But you wouldn't say that if it was very completely recognizable. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. Now, let me just stop there. Where else do we think about Jesus with fish and bread? Feeding the 5,000, right? I think that's significant too. Because I think what Jesus is wanting to show these disciples, you think you got to go back to the the fishing. Maybe you think you need to do that to provide for yourself and I'm not going to provide for you. But I'm a miracle working God. Don't you remember the fish and the loaves how it was multiplied? I just told you to throw your net out and it filled up with fish. I think Jesus is trying to show all of us that when we get a point of need, he has no problem in meeting our needs. He's a miracle working God. What do you need today? Don't underestimate the power of God in your life. Many of those miracles are to inspire and to build our faith so that we can trust God in our moment of need. I think this is another significant thing that he had that fish and that bread as a reminder. Verse 14, now this is the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. You think about the two other times when he was with all the disciples. One was he was in the room, it was locked, but Thomas was missing, remember? 
Thomas said, oh, I won't believe until I put my hands in his side and see his nail marks. Well, then a little bit later, maybe a week later, Jesus appeared to all of them. At that time, Thomas was there. And, and so this was the third time that he appeared to all of them. And he says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John. Now, that's an interesting part, too. Peter, Jesus changed Peter's name. But at the very time when he first met him, he was known as Simon, son of John. Some of your translations might say Simon, son of Jonah. Jonah and John are the same person that was his dad. Uh, just like sometimes we have the same different names for, for people. We might have Charles and Charlie and so forth. But he's, Jesus has taken Peter right back to the beginning in his restoration because he's going to call them brand new again, but he calls him back to his old name. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, there's a real debate on what is he talking about when he's saying more than these. When he's saying, do you love me more than these? Is he talking about the 153 fish? Could be. You know, you, you wanted to go back to fishing. Do you, do you love me more than fishing? But I think... Probably it's another explanation, and that is he may have been showing, like with the other disciples, do you love me more than these other disciples? Remember, Peter's the one who said, if all these guys fall away, I will never do it. I think he's trying to bring him to a point of realizing his pride, his self-reliance. Are you, do you love me more than these disciples? That had to probably hurt a little bit. And, and the other thing here, Jesus uses the word agape in the Greek for the highest form of love, which is like a sacrificial, unconditional love. So he says to Peter, do you sacrificially love me? In other words, are you willing to die for me? Remember, that's what Peter said earlier. We read it. He says, I'm willing to die for you. I'll never disown you. Are you willing to sacrificially love me, Peter? Peter could not answer the same way. In the original language, Peter answers with the word love, which is the word phileo, which is where we get Philadelphia, brotherly love. It's like a fondness love. So let me just say it the way it would have sounded then. Jesus saying, do you sacrificially love me? And Peter says, I am fond of you. He knew he couldn't say that because he was feeling that pressure of what he had done when he failed. He said, no, I can't sacrificially love you, but I'm fond of you. But Jesus doesn't do like, what's the matter with you, Peter? He's reinstating him. Look what he says there. He says, then feed my lambs. Take care of the young believers. Take care of the children. Feed the lambs. You know, for us, it could be serving the kids' ministry. Do you love the Lord? Serve in the kids' ministry. Mentor a new believer. Do you love the Lord? He starts first with the young ones. But Peter was not quite ready to go back into ministry. Remember, he felt like a failure. Have you failed in marriage? In your parenting? Have you failed in ministry? In business? In finance? Have you failed in relationships? Have you gone back to a sinful lifestyle? Maybe even nobody even knows it. 
you had a victory over this area of your life, but you've, you've gone back into the world, into an area, and you feel like such a failure. You know you're not supposed to, and you're like, oh, God, help me. I don't want to do this, but I continue to keep doing it. And this was a message for you, because we've all been there. And Jesus doesn't hit Peter up over the head, angry at him, make him look foolish, but he's calling him to action. So the first time he says, feed my lambs. See, this is a really important point for us, is that failure is an event, not a person. Jesus can turn our failures into successes. You're not a failure. God does not make failures. And I know some of you have been, because I've heard it in all the years of counseling, I've heard people tell their stories. Many of you grew up in, in, a, in a, an environment where people were told you you're, you'll never mount anything, you're dumb, what's the matter with you, you know, you dummy. You're always going to fail. And you begin to believe those lies. And so when you fail, it's like, yeah, that's just who I am. That's not who God says you are. You're a son and a daughter of the Most High God. He has a purpose and a plan for you. You're not here by accident. God creates no failures. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And God wants to use each and every one of you. But if you get stuck in the rut of failure... You'd be like Peter, like, oh, I just will give up. I'm not going to, I can't do what I was called to do. Remember, failure is an event. It's not a person. Verse 16 says, and again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? That was that sacrificially love me. And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I'm fond of you, love. Jesus, again, didn't correct it. He just said, okay, take care of my sheep. In other words, be a leader to the sheep, to my followers. Remember, Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. He's, he's trying to reinstate Peter back as a leader. Now, now, take care of him. Lead him. Then the third time he said, Simon, son of John. This time Jesus changes the word love. And he says, do you phileo me? Do you, are you fond of me, love? But look what Peter says. Peter was, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. What, what Peter was saying there is, I know you're God. You know all things. Who else could know all things but God? Peter said, you know all things. And you know that I'm not to the place yet where I can say that I sacrificially love you. I'm not the place I was where I'd say, oh, I'd die for you. But I am very fond of you. Some of you might feel that way, like, I can't really... I'm not at the point of giving my life 100% to Jesus Christ yet, but I really am fond of Jesus. He'll meet you right where you're at. He does that with Peter. And look what he does there. He says, now, he says, okay, then why don't you feed my sheep? Feed my sheep. We see first about feed the lambs, then care for the sheep, and now feed the sheep. And I think about us, even as, as pastors, we lead and we... We teach. We're providing the food through the teaching. But we see that Peter was hurt there. And he saw that how Jesus had to change his terminology with him. And so here's our next point. Restoration starts when we humbly face our failure. You've got to be able to humbly face your failure. 
and say, Lord, I, 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 I did wrong. I need your help. Please, 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 don't stay at a failure stage for 13 years like I did. Those are 13 years I cannot get back in my life. If you're in a stage like that right now, go to the Lord humbly, asking for help to face it. And we'll have some steps here in a moment at the end. Did Peter change after this? Well, probably in about 20 days later is the day of Pentecost. And what's going to happen on the day of Pentecost? The disciples with others, 120 of them are in an upper room. The Holy Spirit falls on them. You know, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes out there to that big crowd who thought they were all drunk and crazy. And he preaches a sermon. And it says that the people were cut to the heart. And on that day, when the church began... 3,000 people were saved and baptized. I would say Peter got it, didn't he? He changed. What if he would have like not been restored? He would have just probably gone back to fishing and been like, well, that's just my lot in life. I failed Jesus. He can't use me anymore. Somehow he took this, and you're going to see a little bit more that he has to do in him. But he he got it. He took the Lord's words, and he fed the sheep. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you, lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. What Jesus was telling Peter is, yes, someday you will sacrificially die for me. You will end up being crucified. We don't know this from Bible, but we know it from history that Peter was crucified. He was actually crucified upside down for the Lord. So Peter got to the point where he could sacrificially love the Lord in the future. He wasn't there at this point, but he would. And Jesus prophesies that and says, you know what? When you're young, you can do what you want, but someday they're going to stretch you out on a cross. You're going to go where you don't want to go. But there's a key part of there. Look at that verse 19. He says, and he, to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Did you ever see that? We all think about glorifying God in our life. But do you ever think about how you can glorify God in your death? Do you know you can? Here's our next point. Leave a godly legacy. Glorify God in life and death. You have the opportunity to leave a legacy through the people you're impacting right now. Even how you die. I've been with many people on their deathbed and I've seen people do it very well and I've seen people not do it so well. There have been times where I've done funerals where where we've done a standing ovation and, and clapped and cheered because we know the person like broke the ticker, you know, the 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 tape going through the race because they were like they finished well and we congratulated them because they were like they just did it so well but we can we can leave a legacy in so many different ways through the people we're impacting we can even do it in our estate planning how can we through our giving give even beyond after we die through our estate and how we advance the kingdom of god in different ways of spreading the gospel through our funds there's so many ways that we can leave a legacy But we can do it in our life, 
which we're required to do, but also in our death. But look at the, then the last words of verse 19. Then he said to him, follow me. The exact same words that Jesus told Peter when he first called him as apostle. What he's doing there is he's calling him back to be that apostle, to follow me. Now, Peter hasn't quite all got it together yet, because look at verse 20. Peter then turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them, talking about John. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? Then Peter said to to him, Lord, what about him? You know, it's kind of like you ever have two kids, one gets in trouble, and they're like, well, what about them? What's going to happen to them? That's kind of what Peter's doing here. He's just been told by Jesus the kind of death he's going to have. And he's like, but what about John? What's going to happen to John? He's comparing himself, which is another really important point because this could also cause failure on our part. And that is many failures are the result of being more occupied with others than with Jesus. Let's be very careful that we don't live our life comparing ourselves with others. We have this term, keeping up with, uh, oh, you know them as well, right? And if your last name's Jones, we're not picking on you, okay? Keeping up with the Jones, but, oh, sometimes, you, you know, somebody got a promotion at work, and I didn't get it, and I'm like, why didn't they pick me, you know? Or, you know, you look at your neighbor, and they come home with a new vehicle, and you're like, wow, our, my, all of a sudden, my vehicle doesn't look as good anymore, you know, you, you're scrolling through your Facebook or social media and you see what vacation somebody's going on. That's a quick way to be like, well, why don't we get to do something like that? Be really careful that we don't compare ourselves with other people. And social media just breeds that. You know what that does to you? It creates discontentment. It's like, God, somehow you're not treating me as well as they're getting treated. See, what Peter was doing, like, what about John? We're going to see how John, Jesus responds about that here. But we've got to be careful. We don't just compare ourselves with other people. Each one of us have unique gifts, education, experiences, and circles of influence. We're all unique and different. What we need to do is use what God has given us for his glory and not worry about what other people are getting to do. So verse 22, and we'll finish out this chapter. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? In other words, Peter, don't worry about it, okay? You must follow me. So he calls him back to what he, what he asked him to do. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this, that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die, only said, if I want him to remain until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. So John talks about himself there as recording all this. In verse 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the whole world would have room for the books that would have been written. See, we only know a small amount of the miracles, the things that Jesus did. What John's saying, there is so much more. We couldn't record it all. The world wouldn't even contain all that. I think maybe a little bit could be an exaggeration. I don't know. But he just said there was so much more that Jesus did. But as we close this message up, I just want to draw your attention to the screen. What should we do when we fail? 
First of all, we need to humbly seek the Lord and learn from this experience. Learn from the experience. Humbly seek the Lord. Hey, as long as you stay set in your way or you believe the lies or you stay stuck in your pride, eh, it's just the way it's going to be, nothing's going to change. So humbly seek the Lord. Learn from the experience. Next, what is God asking you to do? What have you walked away from? What are you not doing that you should have been doing? Then fulfill God's purpose for your life. Just say, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do it now. Maybe he's been something that he's been asking you to do, and you've been excusing it, saying no to it. Oh, fulfill God's purpose for your life. Then keep your focus on Jesus above others. Don't be caught in all this comparison stuff to other people. It will mess you up. And share your experiences to help others. It's what I did today. I shared my experience. I hope it helps others. When I've counseled over the years, I share a lot of my failure stories with other people. I feel like, well, you just want to learn. You can learn from the Word of God, which we do, and learn from our other experiences. It's important to be transparent. You know, sometimes people act like they got it all together. We all know different, don't we? If you ever see a perfect person, you know, you know, there's no one perfect but Jesus, right? You want to build a relationship with people, the best thing to do, be, be real. Be yourself. You know, I heard it said many years ago that people are impressed with our strengths, but they connect with us in our weakness. I didn't share that the other services, so you get a bonus there. But it's true. People might be impressed with our strengths, but they connect with us in our weakness. In a moment, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for any of you that... That maybe right now you're just kind of feeling like I'm stuck in this rut. I need to get out of it. I've been caught in this failure thing and it's messing with my mind. I'm going to pray for you. Some of you are not yet walking with Jesus. That's a failure point right there. You're, you're always going to be casting your nets and coming up empty. You're never going to find the fulfillment and satisfaction apart from being in a right relationship with Jesus. And I would love to pray with you. If you're ready to pray for that, I would love to lead you in that prayer. And then we're going to share communion. So if, I, if you could, let's bow your heads in prayer. Father, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for your word has gone forth. Thank you, Lord, for the example that, you, that we see in you, Jesus, how you pursued Peter, how you loved him back into ministry, that you weren't harsh with him, that you weren't mean to him. You just loved him and you wanted to use him even though he failed you. And Lord, we know that we've failed you many, many times. Thank you for your love for us. We want to be used by you, Lord. You're the only one that can bring true satisfaction and purpose in life. We commit ourselves to you. And I just pray if there's anyone here who's... You're not walking with Jesus right now. Maybe you have in the past. Maybe you never have. But you would like a relationship with Jesus Christ. As an act of faith, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand up. And I want to pray with you right there in your seat. As you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, you know how important this is. That you, that you make that commitment to Jesus today. Say, I'm tired of being in charge of my old life. Just, just raise your hand up high so I can see it. Lead you in a prayer right there in your seat. Okay? Others? Okay. 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 Good. Balcony? Nip up there? Okay. Okay. 
This is between you and God, but by you raising your hands an act of faith, you're saying, Lord, I want a relationship with you. You can put your hands down. Let me lead you in this prayer. It's not about the exact words of this prayer, but it's about the meaning of it in your heart. You're praying to God. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. I know that Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for my sins, and that he rose on that third day. Please forgive me of all my sins. I, pay, I put my faith in you. I want to change my old way of life and to begin to follow you from this day forward. And send your Holy Spirit to live in me. To help me follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.